Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something's stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect. Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your Miami Dolphins, now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I am Sam Marcoux, and he is the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer, Mr. Christopher Cullen. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, the regular season is upon us. We are a day away, 24 hours from watching a real regular season football game. Sam, I'm hyped. Yep, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Atlanta Falcons, bird versus bird. Uh, As a Dolphins fan, we are all Eagles fans, at least until kickoff uh, tomorrow. But you're right, the regular season is here. We've gotten through all the painful process of training camp, mini camp, OTAs, preseason, draft. All those those things are fun. Nothing is as exciting as the actual NFL season here upon us and the Miami Dolphins are playing the Tennessee Titans at home week one we will definitely be talking about that Uh, in fact that's going to be one of our topics here on the coin toss I would imagine here Chris but before we get to the coin toss we do need to talk about the citizens of Perfectville we do this every single episode but we will continue to do it because you guys continue to do it and that is to talk about some of the reviews that we got about the lovely town that is Perfectville Chris here on Apple Podcasts we got three new reviews three new citizens chimed in this week at the town hall meeting and here you go the first one comes from second grade teach 84 five stars says i love your show hi this is that really cool guy on twitter with the dolphins classroom sam and chris you guys are the shit i just found your podcast at episode 98 and i immediately said these guys are cool and i will be on their show next summer keep that in mind at first old episodes and travis wingfield could get me by until a new one was posted Now I sit in a dark room waiting for the next episode. I don't eat or speak, but when you drop the newest podcast, I explode with energy, yelling, eating, flooding rooms with light. We'll talk more later. My address is, well, I'm not going to give his address, but he gave his entire address (laughs) right here on the actual uh, review. (laughs) Um, Now, again, I know exactly. Let me guess he doesn't teach. uh, Let me guess he doesn't teach common sense. No, this is uh, (laughs) this is a second grade teacher who. clearly is lacking education when it comes to street smarts because he gave his entire address on a public forum. Uh, not only are you going to get yourself an Aronde Bagston, but you're probably going to get like a bag full of shit because uh, people are just going to send this to you. I'm going to edit this for him so he doesn't get himself uh, in any sort of uh, issue from the no good nicks that live in Citizen uh, or in Perfectville, not Citizenville, Perfectville. But uh, thank you very much. Second grade teach 84. I know exactly who this is, Chris. This guy reached out to us on Twitter and yeah. I believe his handles at Dan Marino, although it's not actually Dan Marino, but he's got an awesome classroom for any student. I would actually trust my kid to go to this classroom because clearly there's wise decisions being made inside that classroom. Has Dan Marino come out and has explicitly said that he is not a second grade teacher? Uh, no, I believe he's had a it, bunch of second graders, uh, some by his wife and some not, but, um, I don't believe he has said he is not a second know. grade teacher. I've never seen him in second grade teach 84 in the, uh, <laughs> same room together. He might, that might actually be Dan Marino. It might be Dan Marino. Maybe that's well, Dan Marino's address. We should Google it. Look, I know that the, I will, I will do that later. And I know that there are some, uh, former quarterbacks that listen to Perfectville. So maybe Dan Marino is one of them now. Who knows? Um, but thank you very much. You have qualified yourself for an Aronde Bagston. And his classroom is amazing. If you haven't seen that, oh my God, that thing, it's decked out. I mean, in the way he incorporates dolphins too in learning, like second grade learning, um, they have like a dolphin pod area where they sit and read and stuff. Like it's the greatest classroom I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like if my kid acted up at all in that classroom, like, but dad, teacher said it is like, you shut your mouth and just do whatever the nice man Dan Marino says to do. Do whatever (laughs) teacher Dan says. Um, But uh, speaking of amazing, we actually have a couple of other amazing reviews here. This one comes from T.P. Rizzle, uh, which I wish my name was T.P. Rizzle. And this says five stars truth. I love that these guys are true Dolphins fans. They love to hate everything this franchise has encompassed over the past 10 years. Keep this fan base in check. Well, there you are. Uh, we are the moral police of the Dolphins, Chris, according to T.P. Rizzle, um, which kind of coincides with what we were talking about last week when we had Citizens' Choice and people were asking us to be negative. I kind of feel like this show sometimes is that. It's kind of the uh, the devil on your shoulder for everyone who's very optimistic about the team. We kind of go, oh, not so fast. Don't forget that they fumbled that one time and they threw that interception that other time and they let that <laughs> touchdown happen with 30 seconds left left we are the uh the moral conscience of the uh doll fandom yeah we try to be um it's just 
there, there's uh, a lot of shows out there. There's 100% positivity. There's some out there that are just satire and uh, shit all over the team. Like we've said since I think the very first episode, we are uh, two guys at a bar having a beer talking about the team. Yeah, we get optimistic. Yeah, we get pessimistic. But it, it's normally just shooting the shit how we feel deep down. Um, we don't plan the show at all. Um, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> we just get on the mic and just talk about how we feel. It's completely straight from the hip. So uh, it's going to be as real as it gets because there is just no cookie cutter. There's no pre-planning. There's no scripting. We just uh, talk from the heart. And it's from a very dark black heart of uh, being a fan of this team for a very long time. Yeah, and uh, just to prove that we don't really plan this show, right before we uh, started this episode, I actually screwed up the intro that we've been doing for 111 episodes, and I was like, I don't even know what we say anymore, and Chris kind of had to remind me what I say on every single episode, but uh, that's because I don't write anything down, and my brain sucks. Uh, but somebody's brain that does not suck is AP Steel 55 uh, He gave us five stars, Chris, and said, Dan Campbell equals Kool-Aid man. And he says, <laughs> after, well, this is because of you, so pay attention, uh, as the school teacher would say. After listening and hearing the announcement of the partnership with Dolphins Talk, I figured I'd add another Miami Dolphins podcast to the playlist. After hearing the Dan Campbell story, basically comparing him to the Kool-Aid man, kicking doors down, punching linemen in the face, I immediately <laughs> knew this would be my number one podcast. Subscribed. Yes. In love. These guys truly know the fan, truly know the fins and the deep history. Keep up the good work and can't wait for more. So uh, the Kool-Aid man, Kool-Aid Dan, if we want to call him that, uh, that's a story that Chris threw out last time about Dan Campbell when he was the coach for about a minute for the Miami Dolphins, running into the offensive line coaching room and just punching the shit out of Dallas Thomas and whoever else, and then walking out and people being inspired by his uh, player coach mentality. So this is your doing, sir. <laughs> just still the image uh, of like the other players getting like just pumped up and walking over Dan- Dallas Thomas's body uh, to get out in the practice field and just go do some Oklahoma's and beat the shit out of each other because Dan Campbell started basically a fight club. I'm so glad that was his first uh, AP Steel's first uh, inkling into our show. So don't worry, downhill from here. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. That story was great. Yeah, I really hope somebody out there in the uh, Photoshop universe can go ahead and put Dan Campbell's face on the Kool-Aid man busting through <laughs> some sort of wall. Um, that would be a fantastic oh, yeah. t-shirt. Can you, can you imagine the t-shirt if it was just the Kool-Aid man, but instead of the Kool-Aid man's face, it was Dan Campbell's face superimposed on top of it. and it just Giant said, and red. <laughs> yeah, and it just said Kool-Aid Dan, and then he was punching a dreaded Dallas Thomas. I mean, that would just be, I, I, would, I would make that shirt and then buy it from myself. That's how fantastic well, that would be. Yeah, the best part is, is like the Kool-Aid man's normally holding other like smaller pitchers of Kool-Aid. Like it's yeah. almost like an inception of Kool-Aid. But instead, the uh, Kool-Aid Dan could be holding like two helmets. And one of them's got like dreads coming out of them. So, you know, it's uh, Billy Turner. And then the other one is Dallas Thomas. And uh, he's just punching holes through walls with their heads because that's what it. I imagine. I love it. Well, uh, thank you very much, citizens of Perfectville. You guys have all qualified for a Sipset koozie, so much so that I even have one of your addresses already. Um, so but, there's a uh, lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with that and Kool-Aid Dan, um, why don't we get to the coin toss here, Chris? And uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me what your topic is? First, I will tell you what my topic is. Second, we will flip this coin and we will move on to the heart of the show of Perfectville. Well, I'm going to go with the easy one, and that's uh, prepping for week one. Ah, week one against the Tennessee Titans at home. No, very, very good choice here, sir. And I'm going to go with something that's very similar to that, that ties into that. I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins depth chart, or more specifically, the 53-man roster as it is constructed today. We have some very strange... Um, shall we say, uh, constructs here. Some things that are not being replicated by anybody else in the league, which either is going to make Adam Gase and company a genius or uh, the butt of many, many jokes. But uh, we will get to that here. But first, we do have to flip this coin. And this coin, Chris, is uh, a 2016 coin. This is quarter here is from 2016. Do you remember what happened in 2016? How could I forget? Ryan Tannehill led us uh, pretty much to the playoffs with a really great uh, middle pack of the of the season. Jay Ajayi went crazy with a couple of 200-yard games. Uh, but, of course, in perfect Dolphins fashion, we couldn't just end on a high note. Uh, Tannehill tore his knee. Uh, Matt Moore took over, went to the playoffs, lost to Pittsburgh, and the rest is history. But it gave us a lot to build on, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, the rest is history. 2016 was very much a bittersweet year. 
It was very bittersweet for many reasons, but something that's going to ultimately end up being, in my opinion, a very pivotal, pivotal, wow, pivotal year for the Miami Dolphins for many reasons. Number one, Adam Gase, first year as a rookie head coach for the Miami Dolphins, gets us to 10 and 6 and into the playoffs for the first time, and who can remember? Uh, second of all, Ryan Tannehill having his best season as a professional ends up tearing his knee and losing him not only for the rest of that season, but essentially the rest of next season as well, as we all know. Uh, we were never able to recover, went 6 and 10 and 20. 17, and here we are in 2018, um, still not necessarily understanding exactly what we have in Ryan Tannehill. All those answers could have been quite, um, all those questions should have been answered, I should say, uh, if his knee had not been, you know, folded backwards by Calais Campbell and the Arizona Cardinals. So, very pivotal year. Uh, this quarter is actually from West Virginia, which is the home state of uh, Satan himself, Mr. Nick Saban. So, a lot of Miami Dolphins historical significance in this 2016 quarter, Chris. As always, call it in the air. I will flip it right now. Tails. Why is it always tails? This makes no... You know what? I have a theory here. My theory is that quarters are not weighted equally and that the head of the quarter weighs more. Therefore, it falls down more often than the tails. That's my working theory right now. But you do win again. I think that makes you at 75% so far since we've introduced the coin toss to Perfectville. Yeah, I can. I was going to say tails never fails, but then you threw out the seventy five percent. So um, tails almost never fails. Um, yeah. So uh, you go ahead and go first. Let's start with the fifty three man roster. I think that builds nicely into what we expect from that roster for week one. Well, there you go. So you are deferring to the second half. So the first half is talking about the 53-man roster and the depth chart in general. As you guys all know, we had cut down day last week, but that is never the final story. Uh, We always see a lot of changes that happen after the initial 53-man roster. At some point during this entire shakeup of the roster, Chris, John Denny, yes, Mr. Legend himself, was cut for about three minutes before being re-signed by the Miami Dolphins. So technically, John Denny's reign of terror... Uh, was interrupted slightly, although I'm going to go ahead and let him bridge his time for the five minutes that he was not officially a Miami Dolphin. Uh, But I do want to take a look at this here, Chris, because there's a couple of things. Number one, the starting running back for the Miami Dolphins is who? Um, Frank Drake. It might be Frank Drake, because we have listed on our official roster's depth chart both Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore as the starting running backs, uh, which puts Sonoris Perry as the second string running back and Kalen Balage as the fourth string running back or third string running back. But point being, we have four running backs on the roster, a little bit weird into and of itself, but that's not the weirdest thing about this roster. Uh, who is our starting quarterback, Chris? Ryan Tannehill. Yep, absolutely. Who is our backup quarterback? Uh, Brock fails. Brock fails. Absolutely right. Because we have both David fails and Brock Osweiler, both listed as the backup quarterback for Ryan Tannehill. And then who would be our third string quarterback, Chris? Sage Rosenfels? I have no idea. It might very well. Sage Rosenfels might get an actual tryout for the Miami (laughs) Dolphins the way we are hoarding quarterbacks like they are going out of style. If your fantasy football team had four quarterbacks, you would look at that owner and go, what the hell are you doing? Um, We have Luke Falk that we picked up off of waivers from Tennessee. Uh, He is now our third string quarterback, but fourth on the depth chart. Um, The only team to carry four quarterbacks going into the regular season, of course, Naturally, the Miami Dolphins, when the trend has been to go with only two quarterbacks, some are still going with three with an emergency, you know, non-dressing quarterback. But we have four, Chris. So if nothing else, neener, neener, we have more quarterbacks than you. Yeah, I don't I'm kind of spinning on this one because I don't know really I, I get bringing in Falk because he's been on Tennessee's roster um, in, in that team facility and in the locker room and listening to the coaches and the audibles and the playbook. Uh, it's very Bill Belichick-esque to bring in a guy just cut from a team that you play that week. So I get that. Uh, however, very surprised with keeping fails in Osweiler. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. There, It feel like, especially with Parker being injured, that there's a maybe possibility to have uh, Isaiah Ford on the like the, the roster. I know he's on our practice squad, but uh, just be available in the game. Uh, but to have four quarterbacks four running backs and uh, the way Gase is splitting who's starting and and double backups uh, he honestly was said he was fucking with the media i think he's just trolling the media sure uh, and things are <laughs> things are coming uh, earlier uh, or, or soon before the game sunday i don't know but it's just is very odd how they're doing this 
Now, I think it makes sense, like you said, to bring Luke Falk in to have a little bit of a maybe a leg up against the Tennessee Titans uh, since he was in Titans camp as a rookie. However, um, I, he he actually is citing, he being Adam Gase, that Ron Wolf was with the Miami Dolphins over the summer and mentioned to him that he always drafted a quarterback. He always had somebody in the pipeline. And if you look at the ages and the progression of our quarterbacks in front of Luke Falk, Ryan Tannehill's 30 years old. He is the unquestioned starter and the most talented quarterback we have on the roster bar none but David Fales and Brock Osweiler are both 27 28 years old they're pretty much at the height of where they're going to be and I think we can both agree here that they're not long-term solutions to be a starter they might be able to get you through a game or two but anything after that and it really is you know nervous time for the Miami Dolphins Luke Falk is a rookie at 21 22 years old he's somebody that you can put on this roster not have any expectation to be a player necessarily you know next year or this year of course uh, but try to develop him and see what happens so I, I get it from that standpoint it's just weird to me that you would keep both David Fales and Brock Osweiler and Luke Falk behind Ryan Tannehill. I mean, four quarterbacks, that is, again, you keep four quarterbacks, that means you're taking away from someone else. And it's not going to be the running backs because we have four running backs. And on top of that, we have four tight ends in Marquise Gray, A.J. Derby, Mike Gesicki, who's now the third string tight end, although he will be starting, and Durham Smythe, also another rookie as the fourth string. Um, it, it just doesn't make much sense to me. It's very bizarre the way this is set up. And if you look at the wide receivers, you've got Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, uh, Tanner McAvoy, or however you say his last name, who we also picked up from waivers as the third string behind Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson. You also have Danny Amendola as your you know number four, and then you have Devontae Parker, five, and Jakeem Grant, six. So we have six wide receivers. We have four quarterbacks, four running backs, and four tight ends. Um, I don't even know if we have an offensive line <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me how this is constructed. I, I have never seen anything like this. I'm being 100% honest. I have not seen that many... Uh, skill positions kept on offense um, ever uh, in in the history of being a fan of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I feel like Adam Gase is like completely torn, doesn't want to get rid of a guy um, or two because they all worked hard and they're all kind of even. And there's not one person. I guess the only thing I can point out, and it could be be completely wrong. I I could be very wrong here. But I just feel like not enough guys stepped up and just like – completely solidified theirself uh to be somebody that we can count on it yeah. sounds like gase is nervous that uh you know we've seen some stuff in camp but all of a sudden you know osweiler's gonna go out and suck so he's gonna need fails and if he cuts him somebody's gonna pick him up and then we're, we're we're stuck up uh shit's creek without a paddle so um honestly i look at falk like you said yeah we're bringing him in because he, he's acknowledged the tennessee titans but to me honestly he's brandon dowdy's replacement right he's like mm-hmm. a guy that we can keep on the practice squad uh maybe develop if not let him go and get the next guy in but keeping both fails and osweiler um if we lose ryan Tannehill, knock on wood for any length of time the season's over regardless of either one of those guys are playing like the season's over maybe four wins maybe three i don't know um if they even have that up their sleeve but why keep both like i just don't understand why we're keeping both and then bringing in another guy loading the tight end uh, box, loading the wide receivers. Um, it just it, it screams to me that Adam Gase can't trust the guys at the top at some of these positions. Yeah, and you know, you look at the offensive line, and right now we're only focusing on offense. We will switch the defense here in just a minute, but you look at the offensive line, um, Juwan James, Jesse Davis, Daniel Kilgore, Josh Sitton, Laramie Tunzel. That is your starting uh, offensive line, right tackle to left tackle. Uh, behind them, Zach Stirrup, who uh, that's a great last name if you're a baseball player. Uh, Ted Larson, who you know is who he is, and Sam Young, who was cut and brought back. We only have eight offensive linemen right now. We don't really have a backup center. We don't really have a backup right guard necessarily, although some of those guys are are somewhat swings. Um, But we only have eight offensive linemen right now, which tells me that Adam Gase has a lot of faith in this starting lineup. Um, But it also tells me that I think you're going to see a lot of double tight end sets and big jumbo Mm. type packages where you're going to see somebody like a Durham Smythe in there as an extra lineman, so to speak. Um, It also tells me when you have six wide receivers that the exact opposite could also be true that we're going to line up and have five you know four and five wide wide receiver sets all the time um and some of sometimes the wide receiver is going to be a Kenyon drake or or maybe a a sonoris perry or somebody like that so uh, maybe he's looking at it from that standpoint and saying you know what Uh, i want to have options uh for my entire playbook and not just run the same style you know 12 13 21 personnel um and this gives me flexibility or maybe it's something where he knows that the people that are on the practice squad, like an Isaac Asiata, like an Isaiah Ford, um, 
like a Leonte Carew. Maybe there's a people almost like how they do it with um, the 10 day DL in baseball, where you can stash a guy away for 10 days, give him a little break, bring somebody else up, give them a, you know, a, a quick crack at it and then switch it back. I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre how he's constructed this offense, in my opinion. Yeah, he did that a few times last year with Rashawn Scott and Leonte Carew, where one would be inactive and the other guy would be uh, on the starting uh, for Sunday um, on the main roster and then not inactive, and then he would flip-flop on the next week. So maybe that is what he's doing. You're right. Maybe he's just comfortable with the depth we have even to all the way to the practice squad. Uh, that's a good point. It reminds me of the scene in Old School where uh, Will Ferrell is talking to the marriage therapist with his wife, and he's talking about the waitress at Olive Garden, and he's like, you know, I'm looking at her wondering what kind of you know, panties, her underwear that she's wearing. Maybe they're green. Maybe they're a thong. Maybe it's something we don't know about. And that's what I feel like the way Adam Gase constructs this, this roster. I'm just like, maybe he's just trying something we've never seen before. Like, I hope this is going to work out. Do you think Adam Gase looks at the actual players in the Miami Dolphins and then like in his mind's eye, it actually shows different types of panties like in the scene you just described? Like he sees Isaiah Ford running down. And it's like frilly lace panties. That would be interesting if that's how that we thought. Be. So yeah, like uh, Zach Stirrup, he's just wearing stirrups yeah. and like ashless chaps. That'd be great. Well, that uh, I don't know if it'd be great, but it would be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, speaking of flip-flop, because I think you said that somewhere in there before we went off on that weird tangent, uh, let's flip-flop over to the defense. So there's there are some... Uh uh, standards, if you will. Cameron Wake, he, he is uh, obviously the start, starting defensive end. Robert Quinn, also starting defensive end, which puts William Hayes and Charles Harris as the primary backups. And then Andre Branch, we kept five defensive ends, Chris. Uh, mm. Once again, have two people listed for one position, both Jordan Phillips and Devon Godchow listed as the starting defensive tackle, along with Akeem Spence, Vincent Taylor being the primary backup. I'm starting to believe here, Chris, that maybe Adam Gase thinks if he lists two people for one position, uh, maybe we get an extra person that we can put on both offense or defense maybe we can get 12 instead of 11 uh maybe that's his 12 personnel if he puts two running backs in one slot hey look i listed them both in the same slot uh they both get to go out there they just share the ball running together holding hands and the ball at the same time it's like when the power rangers uh were all in there they're all individual like uh animals and then they come together to make the megazord or whatever uh it just counts as one so maybe gotcha will like carry Phillips on his back and that counts as one player and we can have uh, 12 guys on the field technically. Even, even better, maybe Jordan Phillips gets on Devon Gotchow's shoulders, especially on special teams and then he can just <laughs> count as one player, like one nacho, right? And then he just uh, is able to swat it because they're 18 feet tall in that uh, Wait, formation. Wait, was that a Saving Silverman reference? That was one nacho, My man. man. There you it, go. It's all put together. It counts as one nacho. That's right. That's a Jack Black in Saving Silverman. I'm not. You're not the only person that knows movies, Great although movie. that's I didn't even know what movie it was from. I forgot. So thank you for saying <laughs> Saving me there, saving Samerman. Um, also, <laughs> Kiko Alonso, Raekwon McMillan, and Jerome Baker officially starting now. So we essentially have two wow. rookies, although Raekwon McMillan uh, is not technically a rookie. Uh, following them, Chase Allen and Stepphone Anthony, as you like to call him. No big surprises there. Cornerback, uh, Xavier Howard and Bobby McCain listed as the starters. Tory McTire and Cordrea Tankersley as the primary backups. And then this one shocked me because I didn't think he was going to make the team coming off the draft, but Cornell Armstrong yeah. uh, beats out Tony Lippett and all other contenders to be the fifth cornerback on this team. And of course, safeties Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, Walt Akins, and Minka Fitzpatrick. No shock there. But Cornell Armstrong, Chris, talk to me about him and Tory McTire beating out Tony Lippett, who I thought was nothing but a lock for this team. Yeah, very surprised with uh, with Lippett. Sadly, it sounds like uh, he had that Achilles injury and he just hasn't come back to full form. I mean, he was really looking good uh, before his injury. That's just one of those. It's so tough, man, where it's just nothing beyond his control. Uh, that really stopped some progress. I was working here with the coaching staff, and some other guys stepped up and took advantage. Uh, I really do like, though, um, that these guys that are getting drafted even late in the rounds are making headway and giving opportunities to earn opportunities, um, giving opportunities to earn starting jobs or, or just a roster spot. Because um, it, it's one of those things where, in my mind, sometimes you think like after the fourth round, fifth round, you're lucky to get a guy that makes your team. They're almost like shoe away throw-in draft picks so to see uh cornell make the team like that he had some uh really good talent i think he was at memphis um 
Um, he just really did well um, where he was, um, or, or maybe Southern Miss. I'm trying. Yeah, he's one of those uh, Mizzou, uh, Missouri, Southern Missouri, something like that. Uh, but he did well in college, and he obviously earned a spot. Uh, surprising to me, I was on Dolphins Talk podcast a couple of weeks back, and uh, he had mentioned that it's a possibility that McCain might start on the boundary and let Minka play in the slot like he did right. in college to keep Rashad Jones, McDonald, and Minka all on the field. Why not play your best guys out there, put them on the field, Sandlot style? And just uh, let them go play football. These guys know how to do it. Minka played 60%, 70% of the snaps at Alabama in the slot anyway. Um, I, I'm totally all for that. Just it, anything to keep the best guys, best 11 on the field, I'm all for. So uh, I, I actually kind of really do like what they're doing there because McCain has just been balling out. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that too. And it actually reminds me of something that Dave Wanstead once said, which I am not a Dave Wanstead f- fan by any means. But he said this one time about the offensive line when he took some guards and made them tackles and made a center a, a guard and he started mixing and matching. And what he'd said is, I need my five best offensive linemen, regardless of position, to be on the field. And that year, actually, it worked out really well. I believe that was the Jamie Nails year from uh, from 2001 or 2002 or four, whatever that was. Um but he was right, and now he tried to do that again, and he was wrong. Uh, but I feel like that's what's happening here. To your point, I think getting Mika Fitzpatrick on the field in any position is a good one. And it's not just us being homers. Uh, PFF actually had Mika Fitzpatrick ranked as the number one rookie um, in terms of uh, defense this year, Chris, uh, going through preseason. So he's ranked high. He uh, passes the eyeball test. He passes the stats test. You need to get that guy on the field any and all times, early and often. So I agree with you. I think putting uh, putting him in the slot and letting him be the slot cornerback, and then if you need to drop him back into safety, you let him drop back into safety from time to time. Just keep him on the field as often as you can. Yeah, well, and it's not even close to the same situation where uh, I know you remember we drafted Jason Allen uh, from Tennessee, and I think he was like a really good safety or something, and we tried to change him and move him to corner, Um, and then by the time he finally was like starting to pick it up, we moved him back to safety again and just completely turned around what he had learned and uh, really confused him, and it just really set him back completely for his career. Minka has done this before. He played in the slot with Nick Saban in an NFL-style defense, so this isn't like we're drafting a free safety at Alabama in the first round and saying well go do something weird and play in a slot he knows what he's doing he's been there he can handle it he can do it and uh, if the preseason is any indicator of what he's going to be this regular season he, he he's gonna be in a discussion for defensive rookie of the year all year I think so. And for all those fantasy football players out there looking for a clever name for your last minute fantasy football teams may, might I suggest two in the pinka one in the minka that's just one that I would like there because he is going to shock everyone this year. He is shock. the shocker. <laughs> I mean, I've got an easy Drake oven in one of my Ooh, leagues. I like that one too. I like that. Uh, but uh, speaking of things, speaking of this team, uh, we can't discount special teams, Chris, because the battle of preseason for me, kind of half joking, but also very serious, was the <laughs> kicker position when uh, kicker number one beat out kicker number two <laughs> in an epic battle. Uh, so he gets to maintain and actually get the name on the jersey. And that is, of course, Mr. Jason Sanders. He is our kicker, at least to start this season. Greg jo- Joseph was uh, told to go elsewhere. Um, I think they did it from a distance because if they were within punching distance, they probably wouldn't have a jaw anymore because that dude is jacked. Uh, Matt Hawk or Matt Hack, depending on uh, how he kicks the ball that day, is your punter for the second year in a row. And then John Denny, as we alluded to, was cut for about two seconds, but only to make room for somebody else before bringing him back, is your long snapper. And then, of course, your kick and punt return specialist is Mr. Jakeem Grant. So, Chris, what do you think? What are your thoughts on our punter, who we had last year? And, of course, uh, like I said, the epic battle between kicker one and kicker two, won by Jason Sanders, who I believe was kicker one. Uh, What are your thoughts on Jason Sanders being the rookie kicker? for the Miami Dolphins here in 2018. I'm going to make a bold prediction that he is going to have a extra crispy type of season. Um, and that's only because very recently George Costanza himself, actor Jason Alexander, keep that in mind, Jason Alexander, is the new Colonel Sanders mm. for commercials. And our kicker, Jason Sanders, just made his first NFL roster. This guy is going to be um, multiple herbs and spices worth of um, great kicking, extra crispy again on his kickoffs, and he had a good leg to boot, um, dark uh, meat legs. So <laughs> he's going to be – I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, I just thought about that. But, yeah, yeah, Jason Sanders, he did good in the – Jesus, that was fucking horrible. Are you hungry? Uh, 
<laughs> no, no, I literally just had tacos. So, um, Jason Alexander, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, don't don't there even cut go. it. Whatever. So, no, yeah, I went. Jason fun. Alexander is our kick. Can you imagine George Costanza as the <laughs> kicker for the Miami Dolphins? Jerry, um, Jason Sanders um, is our kicker. That's, I mean, really, that's all I can say about him. He had a good preseason, so yay! I want though somebody to Photoshop after you said kicker one and kicker two, Jason Sanders and um, you know FIU kid um, in in uh, the Dr. Seuss thing one and thing two, but just change it to kicker one and kicker two. I think that'd be hilarious. I think you're right. I think we want uh, Kool Aid Dan T-shirt and we want kicker one, kicker two, Dr. Seuss style for Jason yes. Sanders and Greg Joseph. I agree with you. Um, I really, I think the way they chose the kicker for the Miami Dolphins was probably how we start the show, which is they uh, they put uh, Jason Sanders as tails and Greg Joseph as heads and flipped a coin and it landed <laughs> on tails and said, well, Jason Sanders is our kicker now. Uh, I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't know if you really trust a rookie kicker. Um, especially a seventh rounder. It wasn't like he was considered a stud, quote unquote. But uh, I, Greg Joseph didn't do anything to differentiate himself from Jason Sanders. Although um, uh, Darren Rizzi did say he thought both kickers were NFL caliber kickers. So uh, goodbye from Perfectville to Mr. Greg Joseph. But uh, I guess we ride with Jason Sanders, Chris. That's what we do. And of course, I'm happy with Grant kick return. Um, Hawk or Hack is going to be just okay, I guess, at punter. I'm, I mean, I'm not really too excited about our kickers. I am upset about losing Cody Parkey, mm. but um, uh, yeah, that one stings. So, uh, but Jason Sanders, good luck to you, bud. Uh, knowing our team, a lot of games are going to come down to him. So it's going to be an uh, interesting season to watch. Get the beers ready. Imagine Cody Parkey's homecoming on this episode, week six. I will be uh, in attendance. That's the main reason I'm going to that Bears game is so that I could see Cody Parkey in person once again. And hopefully uh, this time he doesn't kick a game winner unless he's been traded back to the Miami Dolphins for some reason <laughs> or another. Um, but you're right. Uh, it's, it is going to come down a lot to the kicking game. I think Jason Sanders is going to be responsible for a lot of wins or losses, which takes us to the second half of Perfectville right after this commercial break where we will break down and analyze and predict what the Miami Dolphins will do against the Tennessee Titans week one coming up on Sunday. What's up, citizens of Perfectville? Sam Marcoux here to talk about my bookie. And ever since Chris and I started the town of Perfectville, everyone has been coming to us going, hey guys, you know your stuff about football. Can you give us some advice about gambling? Who should we bet on? Who should we bet against? Should we take the over? Should we take the under? Well, the truth is, I have no clue. I don't know who's going to win. I don't know who's going to lose. I don't know who's going to cover. I don't know who is a mush and who is not. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. And here's why. Who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I tell everyone, bet with my bookie. Trust me, this is your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have tremendous reviews online. And their mobile site, easiest to use, bar none. Who doesn't like that? Longevity, high reviews, easy to use. Perfect. Lay down some cash and win big today. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, yeah, you. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. That's like a double fantasy bet right there. You're playing fantasy football, and then you're gambling on the fantasy player. Join now, and my bookie will match the citizens of Perfectville's first deposit 100% up to $1,000. Do you know what that means? you guys realize? That means if you put $1,000 into your account, my bookie is going to match that. So you can turn $1,000 into $2,000 just like that in the blink of an eye. Use promo code PERFECTVILLE to activate this offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code PERFECTVILLE when creating your account to claim this bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Check out MyBookie today. All right, Chris, it is time for the second half of Perfectville. All the citizens are ready. You're ready. I'm ready. All of them. Everyone is ready. Uh, hopefully the Miami Dolphins are ready because it is that time. Yes, on Sunday, the Miami Dolphins face the Tennessee Titans. Game number one, week number one in Miami. Uh, it's the real deal, man. No more preseason. No more training camp. No more mini camp. It is go time here for 2018. What are your thoughts initially here for the Miami Dolphins against the Tennessee Titans? I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, really risk uh, being a overacting right, right now. But I think this is one of the big fir biggest first uh, weeks in a long time for this team. I think 
there's so many different variables that break down this game when it comes to an AFC team that we're playing that's coming into the house, 1 o'clock, September. It's going to be hot. We're going to be in our white uniforms. Um, they got a young Marcus Mariota who is almost uh, a couple steps behind Ryan Tannehill in the same type of path. You know, when is he going to pick it up? When is he going to step up and be that starter? When is he going to stop being injured? Um, there's so many questions with this, and we can really start off hot. The, the season, the schedule uh, really lends and favorable to the Miami Dolphins if we just stay focused, keep our heads on straight, and uh, play real good football. If Adam Gase is uh, legitimately right when he comes out and says to the public and to the press that he's excited about this team, he doesn't know what anybody else is talking about, we can't wait to prove people wrong, um, it's, this is their time. We've been saying this before, Sam, about Ryan Tannehill personally, himself, um, and then the rest of the roster too. Anybody, Bleacher Report came out. The fucking Bleacher Report made us, uh, you know, thirty-two in their recent rankings. Right, uh, dead last in the league. Dead last in the league. Meanwhile, the Bills uh, named Nathan Peterman their fucking starting quarterback. Quarterback. Yet we are dead last uh, in in the rankings. So it, enough talking, enough press. This is the game right now where you come out week one on a one o'clock game where no one nationally gives a shit, um, and you prove your worth. Not a close game. Not a, a bitter back-and-forth game. We played the Tennessee Titans last year as a fucking shit show because we played against, I think, Matt Schaub, their backup, and then I think, of course, Cutler, or our backup, was playing. Uh, it was just horrible, horrible game. We won like 3-2 to two or some bullshit like that. Uh, but recently, we've had their ass. We've had their number. Um, our pass rush has gotten to Mariota. We've uh, hit them and hit them often. So it's time for these young guys to step up, these veterans – to uh, wipe off that stink of being a Miami Dolphin player for the last year uh, and really get this ball rolling and the momentum going from the get-go. Yeah, I'm excited to see them start the season at home. It's been a while since we've done that. Um, but, man, they got a lot of weapons on offense in particular. They have Delaney Walker, who's a top-five tight end in this league. You've got Derrick Henry, who is a big, big, beastly back. Uh, we've had trouble stopping the run for a very long time. We have undersized linebackers, so handing the ball off to yeah. Derrick Henry and letting him turn around and just run over everyone um, could be a problem. You've got Corey Davis as a wide receiver. You have Rashard Matthews, who you know is going to want to look good against the Miami Dolphins. Um, they have a lot of weapons on offense. How do you go about stopping this, uh, this team uh, offensively uh, with our defense? We've got to keep Mariota in check. When he rolls out of the pocket and breaks away from the initial pass rush, that's when things go uh, wary. That's where he can really hurt you. He can either take off and run. We haven't had success against quarterbacks that are even remotely athletic. Tyrod Taylor owns us, like um, completely absolutely owns us he is part ownership of the Miami Dolphins because Tyrod Taylor just could or Tyrod should I say as a watcher of hard knocks um, has owned the Miami Dolphins because he just breaks the initial pass rush and it gives his receivers time to get open and improvise and he has just killed us and picked us apart and if we don't just stick to our guys uh, get the pass rush and really wrap them up uh, he could hurt us big time and you're right they have a good running game with Derrick Henry it starts there we have to stop the run force Mariota to throw the ball where we can go nickel package and get our uh, playmakers on the field and on the defense, force them into some bad throws, uh, get a, a strong pass rush with only rushing four. That's where Robert Quinn and Wake come into play. Um, and utilizing uh, some coverage disguises and using our speed at, at linebacker and blitzing Baker and blitzing McMillan. Um, this is where Burke really needs to step up and uh, show his worth as a defensive coordinator. He's had now a whole another year to look at this and an off season with these healthy guys. Knock on wood, we've came out pretty damn healthy from the uh, uh, the off season and That's training true. camp and preseason. Like we asked for, we wanted that. That was our biggest takeaway going into preseason is to come out, start the regular season healthy. Well, you know what, we did. So now it's time for our players to step up. We have no excuses, um, and the coaches have no excuses. Uh, it, it's do or die time, and it starts with stopping the run. Derrick Henry, we need God Chow. Um, and Phillips and um, you know them to get on his shoulders and really step up here and tackle Derrick Henry. He's a beast. If we can stop the run, force Mariota to throw 30, 40 times, that's a recipe for a victory for the Miami Dolphins. Defensively, if you can shut down Delaney Walker, um, which, you know what, you might be able to just pat him on the back and he might sprain an ankle. He is very much an injury-prone tight end, but when he's healthy and he's right, he is a beast. And uh, if you can if you can shut down Derrick Henry and you can mitigate Delaney Walker, all of a sudden Marcus Mariota has to force it 
to uh, the wide receivers. Now, I like Corey Davis and I like Rashard Matthews, but they're not world beaters. They're not going to physically impose their will on somebody like a Rashad Jones, Minka Fitzpatrick, Xavier Howard, and so on and so forth. So I think if you can get him to force him to throw the ball to his wide receivers, that's going to work in our favor for the Miami Dolphins. If they're going to sit on Derrick Henry and he's going to get five, six, seven, eight yards a carry, uh, we're not going to win this game. You know, that's going to be, allow them to control the pace, control the field position, control the clock, and all of a sudden we're not going to have the time uh, uh, to basically score. So uh, to me, on the defensive side of the ball, we really need to get after uh, covering Derrick Henry, both in the run game um, as well as you know any passing they might get uh, to Delaney Walker. Those are the two. If we can shut down or mitigate those two, I think we'll be in good shape. Now, flipping the other side of the ball, Chris, what do we have to do on offense uh, to win this game? Well, we, we got to pound the rock. Um, we, we have to, if we're going to use a two tight end set, um, that really causes confusion for their defensive coordinator and their players because if you have just Smythe out there, you pretty much know he's an extension of the offensive line. He's like another tackle. That's how Notre Dame used him. Yes, he can catch a couple of balls here or there and help you with a first down as a, a third option, a check down type guy, no problem. But normally if he's out there, you're not worried that he's going to take the top off. If you, you're expecting a run or a short pass. So if we can work in both him and Gusecki or both him and Gray, uh, and get Tannehill options to uh, do the RPO and hand off or keep and throw or keep and run himself. We really need to work the short intermediate passes with Amendola, yep. with Stills, um, with Wilson. Get them the ball in space. Let them run because we are without our um, tall, lengthy, field-stretching receiver again. Devontae Parker, Armando Salguero said he will not be playing Sunday. So th- here's the options now to get the ball to Grant. Get the ball to Stills. And, of course, like you said, any young quarterback or any good quarterback uh, outlet it being a tight end where you can put the ball anywhere in a catch radius. That's Gasecki. This is his time to shine. It seemed like all preseason Gase has been just keeping him under cloak, um, the, the cloak of invisibility. He did not want anybody to see him. They wanted the entire NFL to forget we had him on this team. Um, and so this is time to break that kid out, break the glass in case of emergency, let Tannehill just go crazy. But it's going to be the run. If we set up the run, Tannehill is really good on pay, uh, play action. He can roll the pocket some. Uh, that just opens up our offense big time. And the biggest thing we can have on offense is a good defense that uh, you know keeps stops, holds them to field goals or punts, and gets the ball back in our offense's hands. Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to the run game on offense, we need to have an effective run game. And what I mean by that is not anything where it's a 200-yard outburst by Kenyon Drake or, or Frank Gore or anybody else. Um, but far too often, this team, I think, has gotten itself in second and three, third and one, and been unable to to convert. And that's where I think we really need our running game to step up is to make those conversions because this team, the way it's constructed with a Danny Amendola, who I think is going to have a big game, especially early this season, I think he's going to be that guy that uh, Ryan Tannehill looks for and says, I need seven yards. I'm going to go throw it to this guy. Uh, Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson, Kenny Stills has shown this preseason that he can run um, the actual route tree versus just the nine route, in my opinion. Um, I, I do think we're going to move the ball incrementally through the air. Uh, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 yards at a time. Um, but we're going to need the running game to pound it in from five yards out or get us three, four tough yards here, there, and everywhere. I don't expect Kenyon Drake to get 100 yards in this game. I don't expect us to maybe even have a team uh, rush of 100 yards unless Ryan Tannehill or somebody scrambles for some. But I do expect them to be effective. And if they can be effective, if they can grit out those one, two, three-yard gains when we need it, you know, third and three and being able to turn around and hand the ball off to Frank Gore and let him get four yards, that's an effective run game as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think Mike Gesicki, uh, especially down in the in, in the red zone where we've struggled in preseason and just in the past few years, that's where he's going to shine. Eventually, he will be that Jimmy Graham style seam ripper that uh, I think will unveil on the league. But I think early. It would be great to see him get a red zone uh, target, if not a catch. Um, but that's what I'd like to see out of this offense. I, I'd like to see us have a ball control through um, through passing, quite frankly, and then uh, yeah. kind of put the exclamation point with the run game, almost backwards. Well, and I'm going to make a bold prediction here and say I think Gase actually goes very heavy pass to start the game, almost like a no, uh, up-tempo, no huddle, possibly four, t- uh, four receiver, three receiver uh, tight end, um, and have Tannehill in the shotgun and just short intermediate routes to get his rhythm going, to get his confidence going, to get a uh, hot hand 
uh, and really just get the crowd going too. We have to remember this is a home game. Uh, the crowd will be anxious. It seems to be split down the middle. Um, we can really gain a good home field advantage early if we come out and just really chomp down the field. Don't settle for a field goal. Get in the end zone. Uh, if we have something like a six to eight play, 60 yard drive, churn up maybe eight y- minutes of uh, the clock and end that with seven nothing, I think that would just be huge because it'd be momentum. The crowd's in to it the defense comes out we can pin our ears back with Quinn and Wake um I think honestly keeping our offense from being predictable uh is where Gase is strongest where he you're expecting run and he comes out and pass I think one thing we talked about a lot before Tannehill got hurt uh, I remember in the 2016 season I fell in love with the way Gase would go deep on third and one um, and, and he would just stretch the field and go for the long ball when the defense is stacking the box, expecting yeah. a QB sneak or a quick handoff up the gut with a fullback and letting Tannehill rip it to Stills or rip it to somebody else down the sideline. That's where Gase is the best, and that's where Tannehill is, was striving when he was really hitting his stride in 2016, and that's what I'm most excited to see. Yeah, something to keep in mind for Sunday as well is the weather. As you talked about, we are going to be playing in Miami. We'll be in our all-whites. We are putting the other team in uh, in their dark colors here, and the Tennessee Titans are actually in much darker uh, uniforms this year than they have been in years past. However, uh, it does look like it's going to be about 90 degrees, and it's going to be humid as hell, uh, but we're going to have some cloud cover because it looks like we are going to have some thunderstorms on Sunday, which wouldn't that be a kick in the balls if the game was postponed or delayed once again due to weather for a second game, oh, no. second season in a row? I'm not hoping that happens. In fact, I I hope the opposite happens. Uh, But more evidence that I think we'll have more of a ball control offense with short passes, intermediate passes, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, having a slippery, slippery, sloppy field for Ryan Tannehill on that reconstructed need to be standing in the pocket for a long time with uh, a suspect offensive line, if you will, against a a pretty stout defensive uh, front from the Tennessee Titans. So I would expect a lot of slants, a lot of five yard ins and outs, uh, some rubs, some some uh, screen plays to Albert Wilson and and things of that nature. Uh, Just a very, very short ball control offense, at least early. And uh, if the sky does not open up, if it does dry out, uh, then maybe you'll see some uh, some adjustments in the second half where they try to go deep. Um, what's your gut tell you, Chris? Is this a win? Is this a loss? And uh, if so, by how much? Well, um, they have a very good opportunity to let me down. Uh, so I'll wait until that happens. Meanwhile, we're 0-0, zero zero, Sam. The regular season's here. You know me from the 110 episodes we've done together and from your time knowing me personally. I try to be an optimist. Uh, recently, it's been more along the lines of keeping it realistic for the show's sake and just for my sanity. But I'm going to go ahead and call it. I'm going to call it a victory. Uh, I think it's going to be lower scoring than we think. I think mm. it might start off a little hot and, and busy, but then it's going to slow down into a grind. I think the heat, the humidity is going to be a big deal. Robert Quinn um, at practice today jokingly took off his T-shirt and th- threw it on the scale, and it weighed three and a half pounds. <laughs> um, no joke, honestly. I saw that tweet this morning um, or earlier today. Three and a half pounds from the sweat that's loaded into a shirt. I think uh, we brought in a lot of young guys, a lot of guys from other teams, where this heat will actually be a factor for us as well. Luckily, we've been practicing in it. Uh, but it will be a grind, I believe, and it will be a nail-biter because that's what we do. I will call it Miami Dolphins 20, Tennessee 14. So uh- – I agree with you that I think it'll be somewhat of a low-scoring game. Uh, do you remember the last time the Miami Dolphins actually scored more than 19 points week one? I know it wasn't last year. <laughs> it was not last year. We scored uh, 19 last year. We scored 10 the year before against the Seattle Seahawks. We scored 17 against the Redskins um, in 2015. It was actually 2014 where we beat the crap out of the New England Patriots, and I believe we scored 33 points opening week. Uh, but that was the last time the Miami Dolphins have actually gotten over uh, the 20-point mark week one. We traditionally, at least recently, have started relatively slow. Now, with that in mind, we have won three of those last four openers. Um, but the little bit of the uh, the two years that we've had Adam Gase here, we start off slow week one, and I think that's because he takes that approach of what do we have, what are we working with, let's get into the second half and make some adjustments. So I, I think your your thought process of it being a low-scoring game is correct. I think you're right on the money there. I don't see why the trend would change this year unless we were just sitting on gold that we have not revealed to anybody yet. Um, you know, I'm more of the pessimist of the two, as you said. I think what did you have at twenty to ten? Twenty seven, uh, twenty fourteen. 2014. Okay, so you got it a one-score game. Uh, I'm going to go with a one-score game, too. And I'm actually going to go with 23 to 20 
Miami Dolphins. Even though I'm a pessimist, I can't bet against them when we're zero and zero. That would be yeah, not week one. Come not on, week one, week two, absolutely. Week one, yeah. no, no. But uh, I say we get over the twenty point mark. I think we probably do the vast majority of our scoring in the third and fourth quarter, which could lead to an exciting, exciting game. Uh, but with the field conditions being what they might be, and uh, with uh, recent trends showing us that we don't score a lot in the first half, especially in an Adam Gase-based offense. Uh, I do think we'll see the scoring happen in the second half of the uh, of the game. Uh, your prediction for the first score, who will be the first person to score for the Miami Dolphins in 2018? I think it'll be pretty exciting. It'll be maybe a 12-yard pass. will be in the red zone. I'm going to say Jakeem Grant on the slant. Okay, I'm going to go with a pretty exciting 37-yard field goal from Jason Sanders, a.k.a. Kicker 1. That's going to be the first person to score for the Miami Dolphins in 2018. It's Setting be- our season up for the most exciting yet. Wouldn't that be great if we won 24-21 to and it was nothing but field goals from both teams the entire time? Absolutely not. That would not be great. <laughs> the, the, the New York Giants actually beat the... Uh, I believe it was the San Francisco 49ers back in the early 90s, like 15 to 12. And they and they got all their uh, points off of field goals. In the I was NFC at a game. game. I was at live at a game that we beat the Ravens nine to six, all field goals. Yeah. No one scored. Yeah, but at least, yeah, I mean, yeah, that one's even worse because there's only like three or four, five field goals, I guess, in that one. Uh, at least the Giants were kicking, you know, getting down there all the time. Um, all right. So you've got, uh, who'd you say, Albert Wilson scoring the first touchdown? I've got no, uh, Jakeem Grant. Jakeem Grant. Wow. Jakeem, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're high or something. It's not going to be Jakeem Grant. Um, oh, I uh, hope it is. God damn. What do you, uh, who, who has more sacks at the end of this game, Cameron Wake or Robert Quinn? Robert Quinn, he's hot, man. I think he had three or four in the preseason. Uh, he's coming in hot. Uh, I think Tennessee's going to have to uh, really concentrate on blocking Cam Wake because they've got the right tackle, and they're going to have the running back probably lean that side. I would go heavy on Robert Quinn. His motor looked really hot. Who's going to be the most influential rookie uh, for the Miami Dolphins week one? Minka Fitzpatrick. I think he's going to have a couple pass breakups, possibly a sack, or I can see him making a big stop on Mariota when he rolls out on a play on like a third and five or something. So I can see Minka having a really great game. I'm going with Jason Sanders. I'm all in on Jason this Sanders guy. right now. Yeah, I, I just realized his name. So I am, uh, I'm going with Jason Sanders. I got Jason Sanders. I got the Colonel on the brain. Uh, no, I'm going to go with Jerome. We've said his name since we signed him, by the way. Yeah. Well, he, his agent called me. He's like, dude, he's on the team. Can you at least just say his name I a couple give of times? Him that. Come yeah. On. I was like, all right. Fine, whatever, Colonel. Um, but uh, no, like I'm the Voldemort gonna... of our offseason. Yeah. He who shall not be named. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So you've got it twenty to fourteen. I've got it twenty three to twenty. We got it in a close, somewhat of a low scoring, medium scoring game. Uh, we both have the Miami Dolphins winning. So we will see after Week One uh, how well we did with our predictions here, Chris. Uh, maybe we're homers, or maybe we are just. Uh, uh, you know, future seekers or future seers or whatever those are, whatever those people are called. Gyps, gypsies? Is that what they're called? Gypsies? I don't know. Something like that. Hey, Sam, well, let me let me just throw this out there to you and to the citizens of Perfectville. Um, it's a rhetorical question, basically. I know what your answer would be, but could you imagine, just, just sit here and imagine it's 4.45 Sunday afternoon, the game just ended, and we're victorious with a win of 45 to 10. What what was your thought process for the the season going forward? If that were the case, I am researching uh, hotel rooms for the Super Bowl <laughs> in Atlanta. First week of February. It's only a few hours from my house. That'd be yeah. great. No, I'm uh, if we win forty five to ten, I'm I'm walking around uh, making dolphin sounds with my hand on top of my head like it's a fin, with my fin being all the way up for the rest of the day. I should mention I'm actually going to be at the uh, NorCal. Dolphins uh, tailgate party here. We have a we actually have a Dolphins bar here in Northern California that I am going to be going to. So shout out to Mark Al- Angelo for setting that up. So I will be there with the fellow Finn fans. Perfectville will be having its uh, banner flying. We'll take some photos. It should be a good time, assuming we win. Um, but now I want to win. If we don't win forty five to ten, this is going to be your fault. Sorry, guys. Yeah. So that's on me. Yeah, that will be a failure, but it won't be one of the greatest all fails in history. Uh, but it is time, Chris, uh, for the greatest all fails in history. And this one goes back to that 2016 season that we uh, threw the coin at earlier this year. And, of course, it's going to go to a guy who's still on this team since it was only two years ago. But one of the greatest doll fails in recent history, uh, which actually created a meme out of it, uh, has to go with Kenny Stills dropping what would have been the game winner against Ugh. the very tough Seattle Seahawks. Uh, wide open down the middle of the field. Ryan Tannehill spots him. I was there in attendance, and I was like, this is it. I could see the whole play develop. He throws the ball. 
It drops perfectly into Kenny Stills' hands. He bobbles it like it's a hot potato. It hits the ground, and then, of course, it turns to Mr. McCain himself, who's got uh, just the, the, the biggest grimace you would ever see, and it's been used as a meme ever since. Uh, take a listen to uh, just a heartbreaker of a, of, a, of, a, of a pass gone wrong. Tannehill, plenty of time. Tiles up the long ball. Tannehill, separation. Kenny Stills can't So as I said, Chris, I was actually in attendance, and when Ryan Tannehill threw that ball, you can actually go back and check our archives on WelcomeToPerfectville.com. Uh, I was turning around, and I was like motherfucking everybody in there because we were playing in Seattle, and I was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And then Seattle Seahawks fans everywhere went crazy, and I turned around and realized that Kenny Stills had dropped what uh. would have been the game-winning touchdown. Uh, we lost that game 12-10. to 10. Uh, just just a nut kick and a half. Travis Wingfield was also in attendance for that game, uh, and both of us drank heavily the rest of that day because of that. Uh, we still love Kenny Stills, but uh, fuck you, Kenny Stills, for that. Yeah, love the guy, love his activism, love his uh, uh, community support down in South Florida, but God, that was a nut kick, like you said. I remember um, it was he was so wide open, and Tannehill put so much air under it that the camera had plenty of time to zoom out to where you could see there was no one within thirty yards. Um, and all you can do is just go because that never that never happens. That never no. happens in the NFL. That no. is super rare that a busted play happens that big at that moment in the game. And we just were flipping out, and I think I still. To this day, I can point it out. I might take a picture and post it on Twitter. The scuff mark from my half-filled Yingling <laughs> can that I th- threw Randy Johnson 99 miles per hour at my fucking garage door when he dropped that football. And I had the sick feeling in my stomach of, um, of course, of course us, of course he drops that. I could have caught that. Um, it just was – Mesmerized, and and who knows what that does to the season? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, really, we we could have started our run then uh, because it, we t- took a couple hits on the chin, and then we kind of really ran away after the Steelers game. Um, but that could have been the momentum swing to beat Seattle on the road. They still had their full legion of boom out there on defense to get that win on the road on opening day. I mean, that would have been really historically monumental for this generation of Dolphins uh, teams. So um, it would have been huge, and that drop was just uh, never forget. Never forget. No, never will, and uh, we'll never forget the meme that came from Bobby McCain and his grimace, which is still, again, shown <laughs> to this day on the sidelines. He, 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 That video of him grimacing was how every single Dolphin fan has felt. Uh, yeah. time and time again. So we never want to feel that way again. So next time, Kenny Stills, just catch the damn ball, and we can call you Kenny Skills, as the great Kabir Singh calls you, instead of Kenny Stills. Um, you ready for uh, three and out here, Chris? Yes, sir. All right, first down is yours. Go. First down, Khalil Mack, two second-round picks traded to the Chicago Bears. Hey, he's out of the AFC. We don't have to play him on the Raiders this year, but uh, of course, you mentioned that you're going to sh- to the game uh, against Chicago. We are playing him on the Bears. However, that would not sting as much if we lost to an NFC North exactly. team. Sam, two first-round picks for a defensive end. What are your thoughts? You know, it's one of those things where I'm glad Chicago did it and not us because I don't know if anybody, the way draft picks are in this league, they're, they're, they're worth more than gold. They're worth more than players, quite frankly. Um, getting Khalil Mack, I mean, could you imagine if Khalil Mack was an, an outside rushing linebacker for the Miami Dolphins? What does that look like? Is him being on this team, would it constitute two first round picks on top of some other things or would it be waste? You know, would, would, it, would he not fit in with this scheme? I'm not sure. He is somewhat of a, you know, generational talent. Um, so you probably make sure he fits in kind of like an Indomitian Sioux, but man, two first round picks. I think he fits better with Chicago than he does here, but here's hoping he, uh, you know, sprains a knee or something week five. Well, Sam, let me ask you this. Adam Gase comes in 2016, trades Cam Wake. What is the, uh, fan base's reaction? Cause right now John Gruden has got a 10 year, hundred million dollar deal came in and said, fuck you, kill Leo Mack. I don't care if you're a fan. Uh, favorite, uh, if you're one of the best players in the goddamn league, I'm sending you out of here. Um, publicly, players on the team are tweeting, what? 
are you serious? Like, I mean, completely blown away. He was a favorite of the fans and of his teammates in the locker room. John Gruden walks in and just trades him away. What's the uh, reaction like if Adam Gase were to walk in here in 2016, new coach, brand new, and trade Cam Wake? Well, that's the difference is he would have been a new coach. I think people would have lost their shit, and rightfully so. John Gruden has a track record not only in the NFL as a Super Bowl champion, but he's got a track record with the Oakland Raiders. Um, so it would be almost the equivalent of like a Don Shula coming in and trading Cam Wake. And you go, you know what? Uh, we're going to have to roll with this because he's Don freaking Shula. Well, he's John freaking Gruden when it comes to the Oakland Raiders. I can tell you, living out here, Raider fans are face palming everywhere. They they don't agree with this, uh, but it isn't their money. And uh, John Gruden is is kind of a master when it comes to getting draft picks. He did this in the past as well. So it would not surprise me if this long term uh, helps the Raiders out. But by the time it helps them, they'll be in Las Vegas and all the Oakland fans aren't going to even you know enjoy that either. So um, <laughs> use that for your next skit. Um, and we lived through that in 2008. Bill Parcells came in and traded Jason Taylor and cut Zach Thomas. So. Oh, there you go. I mean, so we, we do have some history there. And, you know, uh, Jason Taylor eventually came back. Zach Thomas did not. Um, Bill Parcells. But again, he wasn't he wasn't a Miami Dolphin prior to that. So, you know, I think John Gruden having that history with the Oakland Raiders helps soften that blow a little bit. But um, it's going to be tough for sure. Absolutely. All right, second down, Sam, you're up. Second down, we're going to stick with the Raiders, and I'm going to go with the other side of the ball. Mr. Omari Cooper came out and said that the Raiders might have to score every single time they have the ball in order to beat the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Not exactly a ringing endorsement of that defense that now does not have Khalil Mack. What are your thoughts on Omari Cooper? Is this uh, this, uh, damning of his defense, or is he just trying to pump up his offense? What do you make of him coming out and basically criticizing his defense um, by trying to pump up his offense, kind of a backhanded compliment? Yeah, that's that's just something you don't do publicly. If I'm in a locker room and I'm a defensive captain, I'm asking him what the fuck his problem is uh, to do that. But um, I think that's just proof in the pudding right there that John Gruden possibly has already lost his locker room or he's just not um, meeting the standards of the millennials and how they react this day and age in the locker room. This isn't Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp anymore. These guys are publicly saying a lot of things that, that most teams uh, keep in-house. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cleo Mack was a total disruption on there. I mean, not only just sacking, but uh, stopping the run and everything else. And and quite frankly, I agree with him. I think the only way the Raiders win this game is if they score on every single possession and maybe on a couple of Los Angeles' possessions, meaning a pick six, fumble recovery for a touchdown, uh, you know, blocking kicks, something along those lines. I mean, I, I... this Rams team, you know, they really are one of my favorites to to win the Super Bowl, not just the NFC, but the Super Bowl. Um, going in to this, you know, Oakland team that does not have a very good defense, even with Khalil Mack, but then you take the best player off that team. Uh, Amari Cooper might be right. You might have to score on every single possession in order to beat the Rams in week one. You might be right, but I, I just don't agree with saying it publicly, especially before you've even played a game. No, that's true. Uh, what is it about wide receivers this year just popping off at the mouth? Jarvis Landry, Amari Cooper, all these guys. Uh, anyway, uh, third down there, Chris. Third down, Le'Veon Bell did not show up to work today, Sam, and his offensive linemen are pissed. Uh, we've got a couple of linemen that said that he makes four times more than I do, two times more than Villanueva, and we're the ones making it happen for him. Marquise Pouncey came out and said a new running back is born in the NFL every single season. Who would have thought Kareem Hunt would be a starter? If uh, uh, John Connor didn't have uh, cancer, he would have been a first-round pick, and he is our running back, and he's ready to go. We can move on without him. Sam, holy shit. What do you think about this situation? You know what I think about the situation? Good. I'm glad. I don't like the Steelers. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger. I don't like the fact that they're there We, you know, year in and year out as a good quality team. Le'Veon Bell, as talented as he is, we've talked about him in the past. I'm glad that somebody else other than the Miami Dolphins is, are having these locker room issues, whether it be Amari Cooper and the Oakland Raiders or whether it be Le'Veon Bell and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm just happy that there's nothing that's going on in Miami, as far as I know, that's causing any sort of issue. That's why I'm happy about this. If I'm a Steelers fan, I'm not happy about this for obvious reasons. Le'Veon Bell is more than just another running back. He's very, very talented. Uh, But when you got your offensive line turning on you, uh, that doesn't bode well for long-term success, in my opinion. I, I think they're going to have to figure out a, a different solution um, other than just getting Le'Veon Bell back into camp because at this point, uh, it seems like he's lost the confidence of his teammates and the ones that matter. 
Yeah, I mean, that's like pissing off your school bus driver and uh, hoping they drive you cross-country and keep you safe. I mean, these guys are the ones that are keeping him standing still, keeping him, uh, uh, you know, earning his money, uh, buying them a couple Rolexes or something for getting them 2,000-yard seasons uh, just really isn't enough when they're still showing up and grinding and you're not coming to play. Yeah, I get it. You want to get your contract. You want to get paid. Um, he said, other than Todd Gurley, you just signed a monster deal. Other, If you take Todd Gurley out of the equation – um, if he gets this franchise tag and plays on it, Le'Veon Bell would be making $7 million more than the, any other running back in the league. Uh, that's ridiculous money, um, insane money, and they're not wrong. The offensive line is what helps him do that. Without an offensive line, he's not running shit. So um, when you've already pissed them off now, I can honestly see the Steelers being such a um, – hardworking, Steel City, things like that, and the Roonies um, still owning the team. I can see him looking to trade this guy out of there just to keep the sanity and keep the guys happy that are on the payroll. Hey, man, he's only one man, and uh, maybe right? that's why Adam Gase has two starting running backs in that slot, because if one goes haywire, he's got another starter. It's uh, it's good strategy by Adam Gase, in my opinion. The rest uh, of the NFL is playing checkers, and Gase is playing 3D chess. That's right, but that is this episode of Perfectville. Everyone, enjoy your very first game of the season that matters uh chris we're gonna be watching this one man cave whole family's coming over we're making some grub i will shoot some shots of uh whiskey but i also take some pictures of uh the the koozie going around the ronnie bagston with the fam will be dressed up going crazy and hopefully celebrating a win man well there you go. you'll be celebrating hopefully in the man cave i'll be celebrating at the miami dolphins uh norcal dolphins watch party at la cabana in northern california we'll be sending out a ronde bagstons to everyone so we can have a group photo with uh our koozie in all of them everyone enjoy a very very good hopefully dolphins win here week one uh chris anything else you want to say before we get out of here that's it my man enjoy the game well goodbye from perfectville later the most in-depth and up-to-date coverage of the Miami Dolphins, check out DolphinsTalk.com. You can even find this podcast, Welcome to Perfectville, on that site. Once again, DolphinsTalk.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.